0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production.
1: My dad was a huge, like, American West fan. On our drive to visit my grandparents, it was always some compilation of country music, but, like, really old country music. But then also he loved gospel. They would bring these big metal containers with milk and she would put it in these large kettles and she would heat it up. And she was just humming or always humming, always singing to herself.
0: This is The Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens
1: of food. And so I would listen to my tapes because, you know, this is 1995. And it was always kind of in isolation. Like I would close the door, listen to music, and I would cook. And it was really me and shutting everything out. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.
0: On long car rides, my dad used to play a favorite song, then press reverse on the tape deck and listen to it again. I think Katrina and the Waves' Walking on Sunshine always played three times in a row. This song-repeat gene is in my blood. I played Jen Grant's song, Favorite Daughter, over and over that day as i wandered the streets of glasgow last june it felt right in the rain in glasgow a city that means green place Summer's come, and falls below. when jen was pregnant a psychic told her she would give birth to a baby girl so this song favorite daughter is an imagined golden hour for her baby, one filled with lake swims and healthy forests, where we're taking care of nature, where lady slippers grow, those precious tiny wild orchids that thrive in mossy woodlands of Nova Scotia. And then, Jen gave birth to a baby boy. But she says this world she paints is for him too. It's for everyone. My world that day was a rainy city filled with Victorian architecture made of sandstone. It was a marbled tahini brownie from a café that was part art gallery, part vegetarian restaurant and part community meeting space. It was a thin swirl of white that tasted like halva, a flavour from my year spent in Montreal. It was a day of solace, all alone, a blank slate before I travelled south to the countryside where I was attending a gathering of creative women from all over the world. It was a day of thoughts, of music, and a long walk in the rain. A few days later, we were gathered around the dining room table at Auckland Leck House, just south of Glasgow. It was golden hour. The sun was sparkling in the mirror above the mantel, and light was dancing off wine glasses and silverware. The table was decorated with treasures from the forest. An old stump stretched down the center of the table covered with emerald green moss. It was a green place. And just in front of me, growing from the mossy log, were tiny lady slippers. The lady slippers. Still with her
1: I'm walking on the saw
0: Podcast, we talk to Erin Goyoaga, a Seattle cookbook author, stylist, and photographer. Erin has a new book out, Canel e Vanille. The book is beautiful. It captures the flavors and tones of her life in Seattle, with the Basque Country, where she was born, running throughout. This is the second time Erin's been on this podcast. The first time was all about navigating a life and food when you could no longer eat gluten. But this time round. I wanted to step into Erin's kitchen and hear what it sounds like. She has a kitchen playlist full of songs that have chronicled her life alongside her recipes. So this time, in homage to my favorite podcast, the BBC's Desert Island Discs, we're doing something different. Erin is sharing her stories through the lens of five recipes from her new book and the five or so songs that accompany these recipes today, on The Food Podcast. The smell of a meal, an ingredient, or even a scent in the air, can immediately transport us to another place in time. Food helps us mine our memories and brings them alive, but music Music amplifies memory. Suddenly there's a new shape, dark and melancholy, bright and joyful, bringing laughter or tears. Asking someone to share these memories, to take us along as they step into the flavor, sound, and feel of their life is a big ask. But Aaron was up for it, so here we go. Aaron's playlist today begins in 1995, in the Basque Country in northern Spain. She was studying business at university, an academic in a family that revolved around her grandparents' pastry shop. In the introduction to Cannelli Vanille, Erin writes, "'Cooking defined my family. Between the pastry shop and the hours spent in our home kitchen, food provided a through line that extended between generations.
1: But she was searching for a different path.'" I was 21 and I was living with my parents while going to school. It's when I started to really realize that I was looking for something else, but I wasn't sure I was in business school and sort of flailing. I wasn't super into it, but I felt an obligation to be there and finish it. And it was right before I started going down the eating disorder path. So it was when I started really cooking all the time. I would cook for my family all the time. And so on Sundays, we would go visit my grandparents. We'd come home and then I'd shut the kitchen door and I would kick everybody out and I would make Sunday lunch. And oftentimes it was paella, and my parents still eat paella on Sundays very often. I would say probably three Sundays a month, it's probably paella. And so I would listen to my tapes, because, you know, this is 1995, CDs and tapes. And it was always kind of in isolation. Like, I would close the door, listen to music, and I would cook, and it was really me and shutting everything out. Gently in the ragged for curled up and war like easter's child a breath so faint angelic way
0: it was red house painters
1: yeah it's such a beautiful that album the whole album called ocean beach Back then, you didn't really have a lot of background on the artist. You would buy some, you, I probably heard about it in some fanzine or, or some obscure indie rock music magazine. And then I didn't really know anything about Mark Kozilek, who was behind Red House Painters or Ocean Beach. I didn't even know what Ocean Beach was. And then when I was in San Francisco, I went to Ocean Beach and I sat there and I was like, wow, this is where he wrote that song that I listened to while I was making paella and super sad. Yeah, but it's such a beautiful
0: album. Aaron's paella recipe emphasizes the importance of flavor. From the shells and heads of prawns, the smoke of the flame beneath the pan, and the pan itself, which should be shallow and wide so the rice can cook evenly in one layer, creating sokarat, the crispy layer on the bottom of the rice for everyone.
1: And I wanted to cook for my family and I wanted to show them that I cared, but it was really more about not knowing how to navigate what I wanted and what I felt in the environment I was in. So the music was probably a lot more melancholic (laughs) and sad and uh, emo than what I listen to now when I make Baía, which is totally different. It feels sunny and celebratory. And the more, the merrier. So I feel like I love that contrast of that journey that I've lived with cooking and my own personal discovery and how I feel about myself or how much space I take in the world. Taking up space.
0: Aaron and I are both 45 years old. We realized this as we talked about food and music and where we are now and where we were then. For both of us, 45 is a time where our days are more deliberate, less chaotic, less unsure. We're standing on our feet, solid, confident in the space we occupy. But this takes time and practice. It wasn't always like this. I asked Aaron about having an eating disorder and the concept of taking up space in the world. It's less about food. Than one might think.
1: It starts with food because it's usually something that you have an attraction to or you love it so much, even though it seems like why would you use that as such a negative tool if you love it so much? But it's really about creating order and sense and control. When you feel inside is sort of spinning and out of control, you kind of need to put all your things in your surroundings in order to feel like you know what you're doing. And so It's almost like rationing, what you're eating just gives you this feeling of control. And I think sometimes it's also about not wanting to take space. You just kinda wanna disappear, don't wanna be noticed, don't wanna be seen, being thin. It's not a vanity thing, it's really about not taking up a lot of space. I catch myself definitely not going into food control issues, but the whole idea of taking space is still difficult for me. I'm very aware of how much space people take. And so sometimes when I'm around big people, and not physical, but just their personalities or their energies, then I kind of do this like sliding thing that I just want to go to the side. And then I catch myself doing that. And then I have to remind myself that I'm here and I can take not too much space, but I have to take my space. I actually have to do this visualizing exercise where I kind of ground my feet to the floor where I am. This is where I am, and this is the space I'm taking. Because I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry, you're busy. Always like apologizing for being there. But I'm here because they asked me to come or, or, you know. Now that I say it, I, I think it's probably very common. But
0: it's a practice, that visualizing exercise. And music can pull you back into the place you're trying to move away from. Not every song needs to be listened to three times in a row.
1: I can't listen to that album anymore now. It just brings me back to that. It's like a vacuum. Isn't music like a vacuum of memories and feelings? I have this long-running playlist that I listen to. If that comes on, I probably have to skip it if I'm not feeling super, super strong that day.
0: Next up, we have Puff Pastry. It was 2002, 2003, and Aaron had moved to the States Gone to culinary school and was now working as a pastry chef at the Ritz.
1: I think I abandoned music when I moved to the US. Music had been such an important part of my life, but also I had a group of friends whom I shared this interest with, and we were kind of the music group of friends. And then when I moved away, and I was struggling, and music brought up too many feelings, I think. And so I stopped listening. And if I listened to something, it was probably things that weren't causing a lot of emotional reactions. Then I started working at the Ritz Carlton, and that's when Arcade Fire's funeral came out. And I don't even know how I heard about it. I think somebody gave me a CD or something, and I remember I put it in, and Tunnels came on, the first song in the album. And that song is like a film. If you listen to the lyrics, you're totally imagining Montreal under the snow. This sort of magical way, and I listen to that nonstop. So puff pastry—it's kind of like the quintessential, I think, pastry chef days. That recipe for those days in my life, and I think for many pastry chefs, you make a lot of puff pastry, and it's such a technical thing, and um, you know, you kind of have to pay attention. So that song with all those film-like images, and then rolling, you know, like through the sheet or puff pastry—it just goes together for me so well.
0: I lived in Montreal way back when, during that tough time between education and career. I was flailing a bit, but all that snow, so much snow, and the crisp blue sky, and reading Margaret Atwood on the bus to my job as a nanny, and listening to the tapes I found in my employer's car, Kate Bush, the McGarrigal sisters, and tasting halva for the first time from the Greek shop around the corner from my apartment, And the wood-fired bagels that we ate every day, slathered in cream cheese, those were my tunnels.
1: I think they called it a funeral because multiple family members passed away while they were making it. So I don't know if the songs came from that place of funeral, but I think it just kind of ended being overarched with death. But at the same time, the songs are so big and anthem-like and the sort of humanity that comes through and beautiful, colorful you know, with all these horns. And it's just so beautiful to me. And then it's so communal. I think that album is so much about who you're with. And this is like, we're going to go conquer something. And I love that. When you're in the water and just the waves kind of carry you, that's the feeling I get with that album.
0: Waves carrying you. This resonates with me. The ocean surrounds us here in Nova Scotia, and I'm happiest in the waves, salt on my skin. And I think that much of being in the ocean has to do with solitude. When you dive under the surface, it's just you. Creativity needs solitude. It's when we're quiet, walking, weeding, cooking, that's when we get to know ourselves. I've learned there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. One fills you, the other takes away. I remember feeling lonely for a time when I lived in London, in a city filled with people. That's when I listened to the Be Good Tanyas in my kitchen all the time. They took me back to Canada, but they also fed a need for melancholy at times. They met me where I was. They're part of my story and have stuck with me through that shift from loneliness to solitude.
1: I'm not afraid of being lonely or alone. I mean, I don't like to be like that for extended periods of time, but I think that it's such a moment to discover who you want to be or the things that you want to do, that whoever goes along in that journey, whether it's films that you're watching or books that you're reading or music, they will always be there. It's just like this spot that will belong to that Person that you don't even know, right? Like you don't know the author or who was behind it really, but what they created, it's there, you know, touche, it's forever. I thought of the
0: songs, the movies, the books, and the cookbooks in my life that have been on my journey. And this book of errands that is touching me and so many people already.
1: If I ever got to create that feeling in someone through my work, oh my gosh, it would be like the best feeling ever. That's what I want for my book—that it touches somebody like that.
0: Erin's recipes are gluten-free. She has Hashimoto's and Meniere's disease, both are exacerbated by inflammatory foods like gluten. But I don't get the feeling this is a specialty diet book. This is her food. The recipes she has developed in the quiet of her kitchen as she got to know herself. Testing, photographing, listening, and wearing her apron. Erin's latest book is dedicated to her son John and her daughter Mirren with the words,
1: I hope you will always think of me in the kitchen with an apron on. And that comes from my grandmother sure and also my mom my mom always wears an apron in the kitchen but my grandmother was just like she'd go outside on the street and she just always had an apron on and i don't know that having an apron on just always gave me a symbol of just welcoming people into your house and i think sometimes maybe for some women or men having an apron on might mean something more uh domestic Just being a traditional perspective of a woman at home and taking care of domestic duties. And that's not at all what I envision. It's more of a, here I am, I'm cooking, grab a bowl, take a seat, and just welcome people in.
0: I forgot to ask Erin if she sings with her apron on. But she told me that her grandmother did all the time, especially while preparing
1: milk for desserts like flan. She loved to sing traditional Basque songs and loved to sing church songs in Basque. So she was always singing when she was in the kitchen. And she's, you know, when you're in the kitchen, you're, even if you're surrounded with people, everybody has a task and and is very focused. And she was always kind of singing to herself. Like I say in the book, she was in charge of pasteurizing the milk that came from just maybe a kilometer or two up the road they would bring these big metal containers with milk and she would put it in these large kettles and she would heat it up and she was just humming or always humming, always singing to herself. And so there's Basque song. I was thinking about this. Should I pick this? Because nobody will really understand the lyrics, but it's a poet. His name is Xavier Lete and he sings his poems, but he doesn't have, you know, the most beautiful voice. is very kind of dark and somber. But the words... Are so beautiful, and this song "Shiasca Canta" means the song of the cradle, or like it's a a lullaby song, and it talks about mother love and mother milk and breastfeeding. And uh, it sounds so weird saying it in English, but it's really about even what your mother's breast or or hug means to
0: someone. (laughs) It's a mother love song, but it's a grandmother love song, too. My
1: mom was the oldest of eight, and so she was always home, in her home. I grew up across the street from where my grandmother lived, so... My mom was always with her mom and I was always with my mom, but therefore I was always with my grandma. And my grandparents always came on vacation with us because she was the oldest kid and she took care of them the most. My grandmother on my mom's side was ever-present. Her name was Meeden and she was wearing an apron and she was warm, like a really warm woman. And she would go outside on the street with her apron when she was in the pastry shop and she'd go outside and she'd talk to everybody. I never heard my grandmother talk badly about anyone, she never gossiped. She was just like this motherly figure for me and for other people. And she had a bit of a belly, and I remember just resting my head on her belly oftentimes when we were in the car. So even though she was my grandmother, I loved her like my mother. And with that milk, the milk that
0: was heated to the tune of a Basque lullaby, Erin makes her grandmother's flan. Have you ever read the book Tearwater Tea by Arnold Lobel? It's about an owl who lives in a cozy cottage with a tiny kitchen and a comfortable chair by the fire. One night, Owl decides to make tearwater tea. And to do so, he has to think of things that make him cry so that he can have tears for the tea.
1: Chairs with broken legs, said Owl.
0: His eyes began to fill with tears. Songs that cannot be sung, said Owl, because the words have been forgotten. A large tear rolled down and dropped into the kettle. Spoons that have fallen behind the stove, said Owl. More tears dropped into the kettle. Books that cannot be read because some of the pages have been torn off. Clocks that have stopped, said Owl. With... No one near to wind them up. Owl dropped many large tears into the kettle. Eventually, Owl fills the kettle with tears, and he puts it on the stove to boil. Owl felt happy as he filled his cup. It tastes a little salty, he said, but tear water tea is always good. When I was little and wanted to sink into a good melancholy mood... My mother would suggest I make Tearwater tea. It was the perfect solution. She wasn't trying to cheer me up. She knew I needed a good cry because sometimes it feels good to feed your sadness. When my dad had a heart attack last December, my sister listened to the Abbott brothers' no hard feelings over and over and over.
1: When my body won't hold
0: me anymore and it finally Let's me free. Will I be ready when my feet won't walk another mile and my lips give their last kiss goodbye? Will my hands be steady when I lay down my fears, my hopes, and my doubts? the rings on my fingers and the keys to my house With no hard feelings But then, it's good to turn it off and to drink the Tearwater tea. Because as Owl said, it's always good. And in the end, he was happy. Sometimes one dish can be the catalyst for a spectrum of emotions. For Aaron, it's tortilla—onions and diced potatoes poached in lots of olive oil, whisked eggs and salt. These simple ingredients that come together in a hot nonstick fry pan to create a dish served at Basque birthday parties, school fundraisers, or picnics at a beach. A simple cultural icon, says Aaron, yet also a blank space, ready for a spectrum of music.
1: It's really simple, and I don't think that there is a right or wrong way of making it. But the thing is, like, you can really see the differences in who made it. So like, when my grandma made it, she always made it one way, and my mom makes it, it's just a little bit different. And when I make it, it's a little bit different. And it's just like the person's touch. How you tuck in your edges, or how dark you let it go. or even the pan that you have will affect it. So if you're making the same tortilla in a different pan, it will change. And so it's just like the simplicity that it lets the soul of a person come through too, you know? And that personal touch
0: can change depending on the song. Aaron's happy dancing song while making tortilla is Crazy Rhythm by The Feelies.
1: It's so fun. I feel like I just want to dance to that song. So I'd probably neglect the potatoes and the oil a little bit longer than if I was listening
0: to Elliot Smith. But if she's feeling introspective, it's Elliot Smith,
1: no name number three. But Elliot Smith is like red house painters that I have to take in with a dropper because it just fills me with so much emotion that I have to be careful. I mean, Elliot Smith was brought up in Portland and, you know, I live in Seattle, so These places in the Northwest have this, like, slippery slope, which I love, right? The mood that it can set you in, especially in the winter. The music is, like, full of that feeling, and I love it, and I just, like, revel in it, but I have to be very careful.
0: On the BBC's Desert Island Discs, the guests choose eight songs to take with them on a desert island. They're not allowed to add extra songs to their list. The rules are strict, but not here.
1: I want to add one more. I didn't say this to you before, but I love the B-52's Rock Lobster is one of my all-time. If I ever feel crappy and I want to feel good and happy and just careless, I listen to the B-52's. Their music, their looks, the campiness, it's just so good.
0: And on that note, with that powerful cowbell... Let's go back to the Basque country for a bit. To eggs, tomatoes and peppers, and music in the car on Sundays, when Aaron would go visit her paternal grandparents and eat... Piperrada. A Basque shashuka of sorts.
1: I always remember my dad's mother as old. She had kids when she was older, which was unusual then. And she had arthritis and she was always hunched over from working in the garden and just really small woman and always hunched over and she had a cane always. And they had this wood-burning stove and these old iron pans. And I just remember she would put a ton of olive oil in the pan and throw some tomatoes and peppers and garlic and onions. And she would just fry them up and then she would throw eggs in there. And it was kind of sloppy because she wasn't very mobile. But even like that, she always made us that. And I just remember taking hunks of bread and just dipping in there, just full of olive oil. It was so sweet. I remember the tomatoes were so sweet and they had all this oil and it was really just tasty and and I would take a plate and I would go outside and I would walk around while I was eating. Sometimes she would make me a sandwich or something, you know, baguette with like Spanish ham. And then I'd go in outside and walking around the garden with this food while I was eating and just enjoying being in their garden. That's definitely my grandmother's, the peppers and the eggs and the tomatoes, is, it's definitely a, my grandmother. Her name was Dolores, that was her recipe. Well, not really, she didn't really even have a recipe, she just threw things together. If
0: you've watched Aaron's video series, A Cook's Remedy, where she takes us to the Basque country, to her parents' home, and up into her father's art studio, and we see his collection of CDs that he plays while he paints, you'll already know his love of American music.
1: My dad was a huge like American West fan. And it's funny because I don't know where he got that from. Nobody around him knew anything about the West, but my father was obsessed with Lewis and Clark. And kind of the discovery of the West. And so he would read about it and he would listen to all this American music. On our drive to visit my grandparents, it was always some compilation of country music, but like really old country music. But then also he loved gospel and he loved Mahalia Jackson. And so sometimes today, even when me and my brothers, when I go visit them, we go to the beach and we play Mahalia Jackson. It just kind of catches them, you know, because it's such a memory of our father. Sunday mornings, to me, sometimes are for Mahalia. Just her voice is so big, you know, her presence. And that song, Down by the Riverside. I never could understand what she was saying. And then recently, I googled the lyrics, and I realized it was really about no war, no more. And I was like, Mahalia, wow, so amazing, so political, and and yet it was really about church and God and all these things, but I love that when I found out that's what that song meant. I'm gonna lay down my
0: one sheet down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm gonna lay down my son's sheet down by the river side. The world Erin shares with us through her photography is a close-up view that's raw and real. The shadows of Grace Seattle and the softness of magnolias, dahlias, and roses, and the pink of poached strawberries and rhubarb, and the purple tips of artichokes. But if you pull back, you'll see a family living in a house in the Pacific Northwest, her nod to Lewis and Clark, perhaps. With a vegetable garden and climbing roses and friends gathering around a table and music. Always music. The Basque Country is the vein running through it all. But there are new flavors, sounds, ingredients and wisdom layered over top. And here I am in my kitchen making Aaron's blistered corn, nectarine and watercress salad again because it's so good and I'm listening to Jen Grant and thinking about the blending of worlds the imprint we make on each other and the importance of solitude and feeling confident in the space we occupy and standing tall in our space on the softest ground The Lady
1: got to create that feeling in someone through my work, oh my gosh, it would be like the best feeling ever. That's what I want for my book, that it touches somebody like that.
0: Thank you, Erin, for taking us on this musical food journey. You can find her new book, Canelle a Vanille, at your favorite bookshop. Or visit canellevanille.com. C-A-N-N-E-L-L-E-V-A-N-I-L-L-E dot com. All the links to songs and other things mentioned in this episode are in the show notes. You can find them at lindsaycameronwilson.ca forward slash the food podcast. And if you want to go a little deeper into Aaron's story, you can listen to episode 15 of The Food Podcast. It's called Life After Gluten. I'm on Instagram at Lindsay Cameron Wilson or at The Food Podcast. And as always, thanks to Luke Batteo, our producer and sound engineer, and to Jen Grant for our theme song, One More Night. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.